118, beginning at verse 18. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. He will give you thanks for you answer me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, joining the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Second Bible reading comes from 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verses 4 to 12 on page 1271. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Well, I wonder if you ever feel small and insignificant when you go outside at night and you look up at the stars and you think about how far away they are. I hope you feel small and insignificant. You should. Uh, do you ever feel like a stranger rejected in the world because you don't really fit with the people that you're with? I reckon you probably do. These are experiences that everyone experiences and Christians have it especially. For we live in a world that doesn't follow God, that rejects Jesus and so rejects us. And so we feel small and insignificant. Who am I? Do I really matter? And does what I do really matter. There's some of the issues that were facing Peter's readers and Peter wanted to reassure them, wanted to give them some really good news, wanted them to see that they really mattered 
and that what they did really mattered. Firstly, you see there on your outline, hopefully you've got, you are God's spiritual temple. Uh, to page 1271. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. In our youth group this term, we're doing in John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the, I am the way, I am the light, I am the good shepherd. But as far as we know, Jesus never said, I am the stone. It was not one of the metaphors that he used. So what does Peter mean, who hung around with Jesus and knew him well, why does he call Jesus the living stone? Well, he explains it straight away, you see. Rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus certainly was rejected by men. He taught and did good, and yet the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him, and Pontius Pilate put him to death. And so Jesus quoted this psalm that we read tonight, Psalm 118. He was a stone like the stone that builders rejected. You know, they come to come to this stone quarry, they pick out the stones that they're going to use, but this one is no good and they throw it away. He is the stone that the builders rejected. He's rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. This is before Jesus died and was raised to life. And he's saying, when I'm raised to life, you'll know that I'm the stone the builders rejected, but God thinks I'm chosen and precious to him. Rejected by God, precious and chosen to God. And more than that, it says in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that this stone would be the beginning of a spiritual house. Do you see there in verse 6? For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. 150 years ago, some people gathered together on the hill up there and the bishop came and they got a stone and he laid it in the ground and he called it the foundation stone. It was a a ceremony. Was that foundation stone somehow important to the building? Is it prominent? Can you find it now? No, we haven't got a clue where it is. And the fact that they got a bishop to put it in the ground suggests to me that it really wasn't that important for the building. Presumably, like me, he had no knowledge and experience of what to do with a stone. The cornerstone is a bit like a foundation stone. It's the first one. But it really matters. You've got to get that one in the right place and it's got to be the right stone because everything is built on it. And God had said, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, because he's building a new building. What's the building? It's in Zion, in Jerusalem. Look, I'm building a new temple. There was already one already, but he promises I'm building a new temple. And what sort of temple in it? Well, have a look at it. I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him. What sort of stone is it? It's a person, this stone. And God is building not an ordinary building, but some sort of person building. And so Peter reads this bit from the Old Testament and he sees Jesus is the living stone. 
rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, and, verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Just as God had promised, he's building a new house, a new temple to dwell in, and it's Jesus plus his people. As you are coming to him, believing in him, trusting in him, so you're being built into this new temple. You might not think this is anything very special, but this is extraordinary. Peter had grown up going to the temple. He would have gone there at least once a year with his family offering the sacrifices. He went there with Jesus again and again. And as he writes these words, the temple is still standing. And thousands of Jews are constantly going there every day to worship God, to offer their sacrifices and to pray. When I went to the temple last year with my son, we turned up on a Friday, the day to turn up, because all the Jews in all their garb are turning up Friday afternoon, the beginning of the Sabbath, to pray, to stand at the wall, and to place their prayers into the wall because they think God will hear them better. There's no temple anymore. There hasn't been for 2,000 years, but they've still got a retaining wall and they want to be there. But, you know, I didn't see any of them trying to become part of the wall. None of them tried to climb up the wall and pretend to be a stone as if they belonged there. For good reason, I reckon they would have got shot by the police. But Peter says, when the temple is still standing, God has made a new one. God has made a new one and each one of you are part of that temple. Can you see how extraordinary that is? You know, we get muddled about buildings. You wouldn't get muddled about this building, would you? But when you're up in the nice building up there, or when you go to a cathedral, you can get muddled about buildings. You can think that they are sacred buildings, that they are temples, that God is there, and that the people who work there are priests and closer to God. Even as we celebrate our 150th anniversary of that building, you might be wondering why. Why are we celebrating the birth of a building? Well, we're not. When the Archbishop comes, we're going to have a plaque for him to unveil. And I had to work out the wording this week, and it did not say, in commemoration of the birth of the church here. In commemoration of the birth of a sacred building. No way in commemoration of 150 years of gospel ministry about Jesus from this place. That's all. God's people were already here. Otherwise, how else would you get a building here? God's building is Jesus plus his people. And frankly, whether you're in a church building or mowing the lawn at your place, if your trust is in Jesus, you're a living stone. You're in his spiritual house. Peter says you are God's spiritual temple. But he says something else as well, truly amazing. Verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Back in Exodus, God rescued his people out of Egypt and he brought them to Mount Sinai. He's about to give them the law, the covenant, 
And he says to them, If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then you'll be my treasured possession, my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He makes them an amazing promise. Did they obey him fully? Did they keep the covenant? No. And so in Hosea, he says, You're no longer my people. Hosea is to call his first child not a people, his second child not mercy. And do you see what Peter says? You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Once you were not a people, now you're a people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, now you've received mercy. God says to Jews and Gentiles who now trust in Jesus, if your trust is in Jesus, then you are part of God's chosen That's extraordinary. Peter the Jew, who follows the Jewish Messiah, thinks that anyone who trusts in Jesus is now this people. Do you see that? We get muddled about buildings and we get muddled about people as well. In the Old Testament, we know the Jews were God's chosen people and we sort of wonder whether they're still God's chosen people. Maybe the nation of Israel is God's people in the world. They are not. The nation is not. What is God's holy nation? It's not a nation like we would normally think of. It's God's people. It's you and I. And the Jews are no longer God's holy people. We get muddled too about who we are about how important it is that we're Australians. Uh, This week in my growth group, my small group Bible study, I asked them a tricky question. Are you an Australian Christian or are you a Christian Australian? They looked at me as if I was some weirdo in an English class and trying to trick them, which, no, I wasn't trying to trick them. Uh, Are you an an Australian Christian or a Christian Australian. In a sense, it doesn't matter how you do the words, but which is more important? Are you a Christian first, or an Australian first? Well, one of the members of my group had really figured it out. She said, I've never really thought that I was Australian because I was born elsewhere, and even though I've got a bit of paper to say I'm Australian, I've never really figured out. I'm still muddled as to which place I belong to, and so I'd have to say I'm simply Christian. What a great blessing. What a great blessing not to be confused about that. Who am I? I'm one of God's chosen people. And no matter how strongly you love Australia, and I do, it cannot come near how important it is to be one of God's chosen people. You're part of his holy nation. And this group of people with a political system that will one day pass away really doesn't matter. Do you believe that? This passage helps us with our muddled thinking about buildings and about people. But it does far more than that. It says something wonderful about us. Have a look at verse 7. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Now literally it says, now to you who believe, honour. To you who trust in Jesus, 
the living stone, honour. Why honour? Because you're part of God's spiritual house. You're part of his chosen people. And we need to see that. When we feel small and insignificant, we need to see that we're part of something bigger and something wonderful. When you read the papers and it mocks Jesus, when you read websites and they make fun of Jesus and his people, and sometimes for very good reason, let's be honest, we need to remember that we're part of God's spiritual house and his chosen people. When you're at school and you're the only Christian, as far as you know, in the class, and people make fun of it and mock it, you need to know that you feel small and insignificant, but that you are part of God's spiritual house and his chosen people. And if you're a little older, old enough to remember when our Sunday schools were bursting at the seam and the church was the centre of the community, and you now feel small and insignificant and the church doesn't matter anymore, well, you need to remember, don't you, that we're still part of God's spiritual house, his chosen people. However many people there are here on a Sunday night, are we part of something smaller now, somehow? Are we less significant in the pages of history? It feels like that, doesn't it? But you've got to believe God's word that this is what he's doing in the world. And if you've trusted in Jesus, you are trusting in Jesus now. You are part of his spiritual house and part of his chosen people. When you feel small and insignificant, remember who we are. And good on you for being here because if this is where it's at, if this is who we are, part of God's chosen people and his spiritual house, well, it would be crazy not to get together, wouldn't it? Ever seen rocks out of a ruins just hanging in a field somewhere? That's a tragedy. No, building stones should be together. And so keep on meeting together because we are God's spiritual house. Well, I said at the beginning, sometimes we feel small and insignificant. We need to work out who we are. But also, we also wonder... Does what I do really matter? Does it make any difference? And I think we ask, is God ever pleased with what I do? Have a look at verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It gets a bit muddled here, it gets a bit confusing. We're talking about a spiritual house, we're stones and then we're priests and we're making sacrifices as well. Just try and go with it, it's a little hard to follow. We are in this spiritual house and we are also the priests, all of us, and we're offering spiritual sacrifices. Not animals, not grain like they did in the Old Testament, but with our bodies in our lives, we are doing things to please God. What is it that he wants us to do? Verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What are our spiritual sacrifices? One, 
Declare how good God is. It says declare his praises here. Literally it says declare his excellencies. That's a little hard to say. Declare how good he is. That he's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That he's had mercy upon you. That he's given you a living hope. Whenever we say that in the service here to each other, whenever we sing about that in the service, when you talk about that after the service in your growth group at home during the week, that is a spiritual sacrifice. When you're talking to an outsider, someone who doesn't trust Jesus, and you own up to being a Christian, when you say something about how good God is, no matter how small it is. I remember one time I was looking at a lightning storm and I simply said, God puts on a good light show, doesn't he? That was a spiritual sacrifice. That's what God wants us to do in the world, to declare how good he is. And frankly, some of us are really good at declaring how good we are. Our excellencies. Some of us are really good at saying how good our latest device is or car or football team or children's achievements are. And we need to learn to talk more about how good God is. Not very Australian, but very Christian. Secondly, there's another thing we're to do that's a spiritual sacrifice. Have a look at verse 11. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There's a lot there, but basically he says a spiritual sacrifice is to display how good God is, by your life. When you say no to sin, what your evil, sinful desires want, and choose God's way, that's a spiritual sacrifice. When you cook a meal for someone who needs it, that's a spiritual sacrifice. When you help someone in class who needs some help and you do it because you want to love Jesus, that's a spiritual sacrifice. No matter how much it costs you a big bit or a small bit, it's designed to please God. And it matters. When we feel small and insignificant, we need to remember who we are. When we wonder whether what we do really matters, we need to remember that God wants us to give spiritual sacrifices by declaring how good he is, and by showing how good he is by the way we live. Mind you, we struggle to actually accept, don't we, that God would actually be pleased with what we do. Have you ever actually thought that God was pleased when you did something? That it actually put a smile on his face? We are so sold on the fact that God's standards are so high and that our hearts are so sinful that we think we could never please him. And that's a discouragement, isn't it? Well, do you see what it says in verse 5? You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Acceptable to God. When we seek to please him by declaring how good he is and displaying how good he is with our lives, he's pleased. 
It's acceptable to him. Can you accept that? Do you buy that, that he will put a smile upon his face? You say, my efforts are not that good. Well, when I had little children, they used to do paintings. And I'll be frank with you, the paintings were not worth putting in an art gallery. Did I say that? No, and I didn't think it either. I thought they were terrific. Why? Well, you know why. They were by my children. But it's not like that with God, actually. He's not a, not a doting father who can't see properly and notice that you haven't done it properly. Now, do you see what it says? Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Of course he wouldn't be pleased by our feeble efforts. But when we're in Jesus, connected to him, the living stone, he sees it through Jesus and he is pleased. When we feel small and insignificant, see that you are part of his spiritual house and his chosen people. When you wonder whether what you do really matters and could it really please God, Remember that he is a God who can be pleased through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth that when we put our trust in Jesus, we are part of something bigger and something that matters. We're part of your spiritual house and part of your chosen people. And thanks so much that what we do matters, that we can offer spiritual sacrifices Help us to do that and be confident that it matters and be confident that it pleases you. Help those of us who really struggle, struggle to see that you would ever be pleased with what we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.